0: For me, my journey began with one minute a day. It, it began with something that seemed an insurmountable thing to do, like somebody telling me to go climb Everest tomorrow. And the one minute a day changed my life. So for anybody that thinks that they're too busy in life, they don't have to get out there for hours a day or hours a week. Right? One minute a day can literally change your life. And that's what happened to me almost 10 years ago. <laughs> Welcome to For
1: the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy We are psyched to announce a new partner of the podcast, Lauren Daniels. Lauren is a realtor helping buyers and sellers in the greater Denver and Boulder area and beyond, and has been a good friend of mine for a few years now. When I decided I wanted to buy a place in Boulder and put down roots here, I was completely overwhelmed by the home buying process. Lauren was already a good friend. So when we first talked about home buying, I felt a huge sense of relief. She's a neighborhood expert, has an incredible attention to detail, available for any and all questions and made what could be a very difficult process super easy. And now we've got a beautiful home in Boulder. It's close to the trails with a big backyard for Alfie and views of the Flatirons. So if you're even considering buying a home in the area or anywhere, I highly recommend working with Lauren. You can reach her at ldaniels at ldanielsatmilehighmodern.com and let her know we sent you. That's ldaniels at milehimodern.com. Thanks so much to Lauren for supporting the podcast and helping us continue to grow and for all those miles together. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Here at For the Long Run Podcast, you know we love to talk about the bigger stuff and the deeper stuff and get down to the nitty gritty of what makes life interesting and beautiful. And while a lot of what we talk about on this show is about our physical capabilities, a big part of what we believe in here at the podcast is doing the internal work. The more we can do the internal work, go to therapy and get the support we need, the better we can show up for our communities, our families, and as athletes. And that's why we're proudly sponsored by BetterHelp, because like them, we believe that therapy is for everyone. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're ready to do the internal work, go to betterhelp.com F-T-L-R. That's better, dot com, slash F-T-L-R to get 10% off your first month of therapy. Welcome back. We have Brian Reynolds joining me on the podcast today. Brian, thanks so much for taking some time to chat.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course.
1: Uh, So the first question is always a tough one. Who is Brian?
0: That is definitely a tough question. Um, I am a double amputee distance runner.
1: And uh, what else does Brian do in his uh, his day-to-day?
0: Day-to-day is pretty chaotic. Um, in between training, I do work full time and I have a wife and three kids, so I stay pretty busy between all of that.
1: Very cool. And, and where are you located? Set the stage here a little bit.
0: I live in Northern New Jersey.
1: Very cool. So talk to me about your entry into running. Do you remember, do you remember your first one?
0: I would say that my entry into running is probably less traditional than most people. Growing up as a double amputee, running was one of the furthest things from my mind. In fact, by the time I graduated from college, I don't know if I could have walked a mile if there was a million dollars at the end of it. So running is definitely something I found later in life and is completely unexpected. Despite growing up as a double amputee, I always had this bucket list item to run a marathon, which kind of made no sense given that I couldn't even walk a mile. (laughs) But in late 2013, I was just like, screw it. I'm going to figure out how to do this. And I started running a minute a day for a week and two minutes a day for a week. And I did that for a couple months and then ran a marathon after only ever having done like three or four miles total. And that was my entry into running. (laughs) (laughs) What was it about
1: running that um, inspired you to do it, right? It's so interesting to hear there are obviously tons of hurdles to overcome in anyone running a marathon, but particularly when there are physical modifications that need to be made. um, I assume it makes it even more challenging. Why? Why did you want to do it?
0: I think it's probably twofold for me as to why I wanted to get into running. One, I grew up just outside of Boston. So I was watching the marathon every year, whether it was on TV or we were on the sidelines somewhere in like the Wellesley Newton range. Uh, That's just what we did on Patriots Day. We were there for the marathon. Um, So I definitely grew up around a marathon environment, even though it wasn't necessarily part of my family. Nobody in my family runs or anything. And... Then just growing up as a child, the prosthetic technology wasn't amazing. And the barrier to entry for running for an amputee is pretty high. Running prosthetics aren't covered by insurance. So you either need to get a grant or something, be independently wealthy. Um, So it's very hard to get running legs. And running in an everyday foot would almost be equivalent to trying to go for a run in a ski boot heavy, clunky, um, no mobility around the ankle and any, or anything. So I do think growing up, I was I was limited by what was available to me. And by the time I graduated college, I was sick of being limited by a disability. And I was determined to figure out how to get around those barriers. So when I started running, because prosthetics were so expensive for running, I just did it on my everyday leg. And it caused a ton of problems for me, a ton of chafing, blistering, skin splits, and every other kind of other unimaginable thing that you could have happen to your skin and bones happened to me in those first few months of running. Um, it was terrible to have it, but it was also one of the most amazing experiences to finally just let myself free and run.
1: And then and then you did it, right? You just kept going.
0: I was extremely lucky. Um At the end of 2013, I moved to New Jersey, and because of that, I had to switch prosthetic companies, and my new prosthetic company took a chance on me and helped me out by making me prosthetics for running, and that completely changed my life.
1: Um, What was that first run like?
0: That first run is one of the most freeing moments of my life. It felt like I was just floating along able to finally do something with less effort. And my first mile in those legs was fairly fast. I think it was like a 520-ish mile or so, which coming from not really having run more than like a minute here or there was for me extremely fast. <laughs> um, and I just, I don't know if I've ever felt that free before. It was kind of like a burden of a lifetime of being held back was finally lifted off my shoulders.
1: So you finished that run. Do you remember what you were thinking?
0: How the heck can anyone run a marathon? <laughs> 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 um, that was at the end of 2013. And it was like the second weekend of 2014. I ran a marathon.
1: <laughs> wow. So what was that buildup like?
0: Um, I... I was always active growing up, just not in the endurance sphere of things. So I was, I was a big gym rat. I was into powerlifting, which was bench press deadlift. And I pretty much relied on strength training to get me through the marathon because I had all of like four weeks experience running on running blades. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was my best choice ever, but I got through it. And what are we we uh, nine years later and I'm still going, <laughs> Talking about
1: the, the mental strength that it takes, you talked about the physical strength to do something that like not a lot of other people are doing um, and be paving the way for other people to be able to do it or, or think that they can do it. What's that like?
0: For me, the mental side of things is knowing that I'm able to do something that for most of my life I couldn't do and never thought I'd be able to. So there's a huge sense of gratitude for me every single time I'm out on the road. And, you know, I've had plenty of dark spots and marathons, just like anybody else who's ever run and had a bad patch. And yeah, it's like slowed me down or I've walked or something else. But I'm always so just excited to be out there that even when it sucks beyond belief, I have this, even if it's just a little kernel, I have this little kernel of space in my head where I'm like... I'm still doing something that I never thought that I'd be able to do in my life.
1: The gratitude component is super powerful. Uh, I think I lean on when running gets hard or or whatnot. It's shifting like when people complain about running in cold weather rain or snow or whatever. it's like well you you could just sit on your couch. you don't have to do this. Nobody's making you do this. You get to do this, and so for me it's the um it's similar but different in that I look at it as. Well, I get to do this, and one day maybe I won't. And I have spent a, not a lot of time, but some time in southern Florida near where my grandparents live. And down there, the dichotomy between like having full use of your body and having your body fail you because of old age is very stark. And I remember a number of you know hot summer runs where I'm drenched in, and and going out a you know eight mile run, and there are people who can't walk. And there are people who are confined to a wheelchair and there are people who like they won't ever do it again. And it's a fascinating dichotomy. That's just like, yeah, this sucks, but you get to do it.
0: Yeah. And I feel like I experience that a lot when I'm out running. Um, I grew up seeing all kinds of other disabled people, not able to do anything like this. And I grew up not knowing any other para-athlete, so I didn't have anybody paving the way for me, like saying, this is what you can do as an amputee. So I never thought it was possible for me to kind of like break out of that shell. And I don't know how long it'll last for. I don't know how long I'll be able to do this. Like it might not be something that lasts till old age for me. Um, I have a lot more overuse issues and it's a lot more pounding on my joints than it is for most people. So maybe I won't be able to do this forever. And I take joy in the fact that I can do it now. So it's never I have to get up early to go for a long run. If I need to, I want to. That's what makes me happy to start the day with. And I feel that that feeling of gratitude that I get from being outside, even if it's just a quick three or four mile run, tends to last me throughout the day as I go through other aspects of life.
1: That's super cool. I like the um, appreciation of, like, maybe it's not permanent, and that's acknowledged. And I think there's there's power in that. My um, my chiropractor, Brian Kent, who's uh he's been on the podcast twice now. Um, he has an MS diagnosis, and he doesn't know it'll ever turn into anything, and he doesn't know if it will take away his physicality or if it will just never pop up. And so for him, it's the similar situation where it's like, yeah, today's, today is a day I can do this and I don't know how long it will last. So I might as well take advantage of it. Um, so it's, it's nice to, you know, talk about gratitude and say that it helps on the hard days. It helps when you hit the wall, et cetera. Um, tell me about the tactics you use when like you're in the moment and it's difficult and maybe something's difficult that isn't a situation that most runners need to um, think out. How do you how do you work through those types of of challenges? Again, mental or physical.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, as an amputee, there's there's a few things that you don't have to deal with as an everyday runner. Um, so I run with running prosthetics, and I have these heavy silicone liners that go over my legs, and they constantly fill with sweat which causes like absolute terrible chafing (laughs) um i'm lucky i use stuff like swirls nut butter that helps fix a lot of the issues but you know in the end stages of a marathon there's like no getting rid of the it ends up being like a couple inches of sweat puddles that pool up inside of it and i don't know if i've found like the right way to mentally push myself through that issue at this point. Um, I ran Boston last year in 2022 and there was so much sweat buildup in my leg that it wasn't staying on as well anymore. And I ended up tripping at like, I don't know, just past 25 miles or something. And my whole leg came off. It is just like, it's painful, but it's also beyond frustrating for me to be in the final stages of a marathon and end up having to stop for like five plus minutes to dry off my leg put it back on and then it doesn't feel as comfortable because what you've been doing for the past couple hours feels different now and um to me it's just getting to the finish line of something that's what got me back up and propelled me forward and really just pushing myself past my perceived definition of what i think i can do see how much further i can push myself
1: what what do you think about when it comes to limits like what what is your relationship with that concept
0: sorry the concept of what
1: limits and limitation
0: um, i mean you're doing
1: something that you thought you thought you'd never be able to do and you and you're yeah, doing
0: it I, every day i spent pretty much the first 25 years of myself limiting myself by what i thought could or couldn't be done so and now my main thought is uh, how crazy of an idea can I come up with and how do I get to the finish <laughs> line of it? So like this year, I, I've i decided that the craziest thing I can do is is weave in three different types of endurance sports and see if I can do them all together. <laughs> so I'm starting working on the seven summits, which is the highest peak on each continent. Um, so next month I'm going to be down in South America doing Aconcagua. Then I'm doing the Boston marathon in April, which we're going for a PR. So we're hoping to get some pretty big speed in there. Then I'm going to Kilimanjaro in Tanzania to not only hike it as part of the seven summits, but see if I can summit in one day, less than 10 hours. It's normally like a seven to eight day trip and then in august i'm doing the leadville 100 (laughs) so we are taking like three different types of endurance events two of which i've really never done before between mountains and ultra distance trails and just seeing what i can handle and how i get to the finish line (laughs) um and
1: so that's why you had the altitude
0: tent yeah that is why i have an altitude tent um doesn't go quite high enough for Aconcagua, but uh, twelve thousand feet is is what I've been sleeping at now for a few weeks. <laughs> um,
1: that's a lot. That's high. Um, I spent two months living at ten thousand feet, and uh, yeah, it takes about six weeks to like feel normal-ish when it comes to sleep and recovery yeah. and whatnot. Um, wh- where did the thought process come from in choosing those goals? Like, and and what were the first responses? when you told people what you wanted to do.
0: Yeah. um, So I hiked Kilimanjaro almost 10 years ago and just did it as a normal trip. I think it took like six or seven days of hiking or whatever it was, was not an endurance athlete at that point. It was kind of like one of my entries into it. And during the hike, my guide was talking about how in the off season, like when all the tourists come to hike the mountain he usually runs it a couple times in the month in one day i was like dude you're insane who the heck would ever want to do that (laughs) that makes absolutely no sense (laughs) and i don't know what you're thinking and it almost set off like a time ticker in my head like by the time i got home from that trip i was like huh running in one day that could be doable (laughs) and it's just kind of trickled through my mind ever since and then At the beginning of last year, I mentioned it to one of my friends who's a mountain runner. He's like, dude, we should do that. Um, He's a professional videographer and photographer and stuff. He's like, I'd love to come and do the storytelling for that. Like, I think it'd be a really cool trip. So we started planning it. And then I was talking to one of my other friends, um, Tyler Andrews. And he was like, dude, that sounds like an awesome trip. But I feel like my main question is, why aren't we doing all of the seven summits? (laughs) and I was like, oh yeah, like you're kind of crazy. I'll think about it. But like a week later I called him back and I was like, that sounds awesome. When can we start this? (laughs) Um, and so this journey to do the seven summits was born. Um, from what I can tell, it's never been done by a para athlete as of right now. Um, the records are a little bit murky. Um, so I could be wrong on that one. But as far as we know, there hasn't been a para athlete to do it. And uh, as for Leadville, I've been out there the past two years, just working the event and crewing some people and stuff. And it was just such an amazing atmosphere and environment. I was like, I'll sign up for the lottery. It usually takes a few years to get in, and uh, I got in in the first year. Or so <laughs> um, we're just we're going for all of it. <laughs> you know, not all of it's going to be pretty, but I'm going to figure out how to get to the top of the mountains, the finish line of Boston and the finish line of a hundred miler.
1: If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Is it a good market to buy a home in? What about to sell a home? What even goes on in the housing market? How do you even keep track? Well, good news for you. You don't have to know all the answers if you're interested in buying or selling your home because you can just work with the best realtor around, Lauren Daniels. Whether you're thinking of buying or selling your home, Lauren is your go-to. She treats every client with care and helps make what could be a very scary process, dare I say, fun. Lauren helps you get organized and stay on top of important deadlines and guides you towards the right home for you instead of pushing you towards something that doesn't feel right. Even if you're not ready yet or you're not in the Denver or Boulder area, We highly recommend following Lauren on Instagram because she's always sharing great information about the housing market. Give her a follow at lauren.in.colorado on Instagram. And if you're already ready to start the conversation, give her a shout at ldaniels at milehighmodern.com and let her know we sent you. That's ldaniels at milehimodern.com. Boulder, boulder. Wow, I get excited just saying it. If you're not familiar with the Boulder Boulder 10K that happens here in Boulder every Memorial Day, it's one of the most fun races out there. Runners World named it America's all-time best 10K and for good reason. This race is for everybody. It's part race, run, walk, spectacle, tribute, and community celebration. In order to get even more psyched for this upcoming race, we are hosting some 5Ks here in Boulder for folks to grab a time to get into a preferred wave. Regardless of if you want to start in the A groups, just want to move up from last year's wave, or have never run in the race before, come on out and join us in Boulder for a fun Community 5K to come together and get pumped for the Boulder Boulder Extravaganza. The first 31 waves are seated entry, and there are plenty more waves for all paces after that. Join us on Saturday, March 18th at the left-hand trailhead at 9am to get your time trial in. We'll be giving away some gear from brand partners as well, so you're not going to want to miss it. Go to the link in our show notes to sign up. Brad Stolberg, our previous guest on this podcast, talks a lot about the company you keep and those people being a reflection of who you become. And you look at you know the five people you spend the closest amount of time with and you're the average of those five people. I think there's so much value in surrounding yourself with the type of people that you want to be or, or you want to emulate and yeah, Tyler Andrews, like he'd probably tell you that sleeping at twelve thousand feet sounds
0: luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm fortunate that altitudes never bothered me, even before like I was really in, into endurance. You know, the top of Kilimanjaro didn't overly bother me at just over nineteen thousand yeah. feet. Um, I would agree with you though. He's he's like notorious for just going to Peru and sleeping at like yeah. fifteen thousand feet in in like a cardboard box on the side. Of yeah, the I love how. He-
1: I um, love he goes to Flagstaff. It's like low altitude him. But the point I'm making is, um, so I moved to Boulder, Colorado in April of 2021. And this is not a knock on Boston or my friend in Boston. Um, and I always hesitate to like talk this way or say it because I, I don't intend for it to be that way. But in a place like Boulder, I find myself surrounded by people that are just like, absolute dreamers but also matched with some sense of reality in that like if you do the work you can do anything kind of a deal and i saw a tweet this morning that said the best hack is consistency or best life hack is is showing up and doing the work and i find this Mm -hmm. um like I could get into asking you, oh, how are you going to make it up and how are you going to do this? How are you going to do seven summits? I am guess your answer is I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to put in the work and, and grit yeah. it out. Um, and there's, to me, there's like, it's one of the reasons I love this podcast because I get to talk with so many high performers, so many big dreamers, and then people who like do epic things. And the, the commonality amongst anyone who's ever achieved anything interesting or awesome is exactly that's just one you know keep doing it one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. as you know, the only way to climb the mountain is step by step kind of deal. um
0: yeah what, I, I feel like i lived the first um 25 years of my life in a sheltered little box i am not gonna let the rest of my life pass like that
1: what do you think the 15 year old brian would think of the brian of today
0: Oh gosh. I don't even think 15 year old me would recognize me. Um, as well as just being in my own little box of, uh, not knowing what I could do physically, I was definitely scared of letting just anyone know that I was different, that I had prosthetics. I wore pants all year long. Didn't matter if it was, a 110 degrees out. um, I did not own a pair of shorts. If you asked me why I had like a slight limp or something, I like, oh, ski accident or bike accident or whatever. Like I just I was not true to myself and was scared of what other people think. And it wasn't until after college that that changed for me. I was like around like 23 or so. And I was sweltering in a in, a, in an air-conditioned gym in the middle of summer. Trying to work out in like these thick winter gym pants. And I stood up, I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I borrowed a pair of my brother's shorts, I put them on, and just went back to my workout. And then realized, that, like, nobody gives a damn. <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares about my legs. Probably everybody already knew about my legs. And. Like there was no stares, there was no comments, there was there was nothing, and that's when I was like, I've been a moron. <laughs> <laughs> like I I've let this consume me in a very negative way, and that was the last day I really ever wore pants.
1: Like, now you shorts I have guy. some
0: like dress pants for formal. <laughs> yeah, I have like some dress pants for like formal occasions. You might see me put them on for a wedding or something, but. I will probably wear shorts on top of Aconcagua, which is one of the coldest mountain summits in the world. <laughs> uh, like I just, I have zero patience on wearing pants now, um, and I just, I don't even know. a Fifteen year old will recognize me. <laughs> I don't really recognize me if I even look back on my college self.
1: <laughs> I love what you said about like no cares or nobody noticed, like so many people spend so much time thinking about what other people are thinking of them. And the reality of it is everyone's so busy thinking about themselves that nobody really cares. And there's mm-hmm. like not enough time to judge yep. everyone else because we're so stuck in our own head judging ourselves. Um, what, would, what would you say to 15 or 23 year old Brian? Ah.
0: Uh. I I don't feel like, uh, regrets are the best thing, but I, I definitely wish that I had come out of my shell sooner in life. Um, I I probably would have had a lot more opportunities in high school through college. You know, I found out after college that I was really good at jujitsu. I did jujitsu for a few years after college, once I started wearing shorts and stuff, but you know. Like maybe I would have wrestled in high school and then maybe it would have ended up in college wrestling or something. I don't know where life would have taken me. I don't I don't think I would have been a runner necessarily because there's still a barrier of entry with running blades that I wasn't going to necessarily overcome at that age. But I feel like I would have had these opportunities earlier in life um, to see how I can push myself and what I can do. Or maybe it would have led me down a path that I wouldn't have ended up doing any of these things. It, maybe I do these things because I spent the first twenty-five years of my life like that. It's uh it's hard to know what would have changed one way or another. I feel like I crammed so much in now because I felt like I missed out for a while. So maybe I wouldn't have had the same drive now. maybe it wouldn't have been as like as positive a change.
1: <laughs> yeah, hard to hard to know. Um The episode of the podcast I released today was with a woman named India Cook. India trained to break seven hours in this past year's New York City Marathon. And her why has evolved to be the runner that she needed to see when she got into running. Um, Back of the pack, chasing cutoffs, but like really freaking motivated to, to get it done kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, in that episode, she basically spoke directly to that version of a runner, that that type of person. And I find this um, sort of like speaking to the person that you might have wanted to hear from when you were, you know, in the thick of it, um, to be so fascinating, so powerful. And I, I always get a ton of messages from people who are also in a similar boat. So I'm curious your your perspective or your response on that. You know, if you were if you were talking to not the version of yourself, you know, from fifteen or twenty-three, but um, maybe a, an amputee runner who's, you know, seeing that more and more people are starting to do this. We saw Adrian Hazlitt um, shoot her dot mm-hmm. at the Boston Fun this past year, um, and there's been a lot of change in in that Organization and others creating para divisions and and all of all of what we're seeing there. I imagine that that's only going to grow and become more and more. Um, popular and accessible for people. So for someone who's listening, maybe they've followed your story for a while. What do you want to tell that person who's either thinking about getting into it or couldn't see themselves getting into it, but they want to?
0: Yeah, I often think that uh, that was one of the things that was missing from my youth is having a para-athlete, whether they are an amputee or otherwise, to look up to and see what was possible and it's not that they didn't exist back then but there was no social media in the 90s to to see this kind of stuff um and i i do think it would have changed my perspective earlier in life if i had had not even direct communication with somebody but somebody to look up to and see what they were doing even now i feel like there are so many different ways to Accomplish being a para athlete, like it's. I I feel like I have. I feel like I'm almost writing my own book about how to overcome this or how to overcome that, whether it's um you know chafing in the legs that we were talking about earlier and the sweat buildup, or any of the other dozens of complications of being an amputee athlete, and having organizations like the Boston Marathon start to legitimize, um the para division. And having Adrian Hazlitt being an amazing spokesperson for it is only going to make things better for all para-athletes and give them ways to reach out to me, her, or any other para-athletes that come along with just general questions about how to be an amputee athlete. Um, And I'm happy when I get those questions because it means that somebody else is trying to overcome those obstacles themselves. And it is something that I hope comes out of my own journey is that people can see as an amputee or any other type of para-athlete that you truly can do what you put your mind to and that it's not easy. And I've probably failed more times than I've succeeded. And I'll continue to fail for certain, but I'm never going to stop dreaming about what I can do.
1: I love that. Um, and that's how we move everything forward. You've talked a lot about being able to do things and, and chasing big goals and following your dreams and doing doing it because you can. Um, what does success mean to you?
0: I'd say success changes depending on what I'm aiming for. Um, you know, the seven summits success is just getting to the top of each one
1: for the box in there
0: yeah hopefully back down, but as long as I get to the top of all seven <laughs> um, excuse me, you never know what'll happen with Everest on mountain's It's crazy. <laughs> um, success is just living my my best life and not letting not being inhibited by something like prosthetic legs, which, in the grand scheme of life and the problems that are faced. By so many millions of people across the world is not hugely significant. Um, just not letting myself be shackled by any perceived constraints.
1: Has that been a lot of work to get that place? Like mental health, mental therapy, kind of practice, or is it a, a journey you've sort of figured out?
0: Um, I. I became an amputee when I was really young in life. I was four when I contracted meningococcemia, which is a rare form of meningitis. So did I probably go to therapy back then? Probably. But I remember the day I got sick, I remember like flashes in the hospital. And then I just remember walking. Like there was no point in time where I remember doing physical therapy exercises and prosthetic leg fittings and whatever else, you know, just like a fast forward, like six, eight, nine months, whatever it was.
1: I meant um, men- mental um, therapy. So processing the changes. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, so I, I was going to say like, maybe those mental things happen then, but it's not something I've really dwelled on since. Um, I've always been more of just like a quiet person that I I don't project any of my, feelings or emotions, um, is it's water under the bridge to me, um, it is mainly my mentality, which, you know, that can have its pros and cons. Um, but it's, it's honestly not something that is more than like a passing thought here and there to me. Like maybe my prosthetics aren't cooperating one day for whatever. And I'm like, Oh, this sucks being an amputee. And I'm like, irritated and pissed off for an hour or half a day or something and by the next day I, I was like moved on and I'm, I'm on to the next thing um so I would say that I'm I'm not personally one that's like really into the like the mental processing and therapy of this side of things but I know that it can be hugely helpful for people especially when they become amputees later in life or when there's trauma involved um, I definitely don't downplay the mental side of things it's just not something that, for me personally I've felt that I needed
1: cool yeah i it's uh it's definitely a tool or an asset for a lot of people, and um highly recommend it. i've used it I've done it myself, and it's mm-hmm. great to hear that um you've been able to to manage using running as a vehicle and and uh dream big and then making it happen
0: um i I do feel like over the past eight or nine years of running that I've been more mentally clear than I have been. That's awesome. For previous parts of my life. It just helps me process far better than I was doing before.
1: What are you, uh, what are you afraid of in this coming
0: year? I think I'm most afraid of Leadville. <laughs> <laughs> um, 100 miles in under 30 hours, which is the cutoff. I've, the farthest I've ever run is 50K. I ran 30 miles on my 30th birthday and finished that. And I was like, well, it seems stupid to stop before 50K. So I went out and finished that. Um, And have not run an ultra distance since. So the distance is unknown. I'm not going to be able to train for it like a traditional ultra because that time on my legs is just going to wreck me before I even get to the race. So I'm going to have to figure out how to get it done with 60 miles a week plus cross training (laughs) and also Leadville's at altitude where you're pretty much above 10,000 feet the whole time. And I live at sea level. (laughs) So the time on my feet, the distance, the altitude, I have no idea what the heck is going to happen there.
1: (laughs) Are you excited about that?
0: Super excited. (laughs) I have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen. I do know that I'm going to find a way to get to the finish line whether it's within the 30 hours or not. I will I will cross over where that finish line should be either way, but um yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm excited to find out. I hope I'm going to have an awesome crew. You mentioned Adrian Hazler earlier. She's going to be out there with me as part of my crew. Oh cool. Um hoping to get a few other veteran ultra runner para athletes out there with me as well, but um I'm scared of it, but looking forward to it. There's no goal for me except to get to the finish line, hopefully in under the cutoff hour. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I have no idea what is what's gonna happen out there. Like I feel like I can say like I'm gonna get to the top of Aconcagua, yes, or I'm gonna get to the top of Kilimanjaro or the finish line of Boston, but like, I honestly have no idea what's gonna happen there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that feels super cool. I was out there last year. I Saw the finish of 50 and then um, a lot of the 100. And what a cool community that is. I spent most of my day at Twin Lakes. Um, so yeah. it's like mile 40 and mile 60. Mm-hmm. And then I also got I was up
0: there as well last year. Yeah, probably We're probably within a few feet. Probably, of each other. <laughs>
1: yeah, probably. So. Um, and I was also up at Hope Pass. What a fun mm-hmm. climb that is. Um, and then,
0: yeah, I guess Hope Pass is probably one of the the more worrisome parts for me. I'm fine going uphill, but like steep downhill, yeah, can be treacherous for me when I'm on running blades. So it'll be, I'm hoping I can get out there before the race to just give it a test drive. But that's despite the distance, like that's my main worry of concern is right there.
1: If it makes you feel any better, I hate steep descents and i've done a lot um not a lot a handful of that here in colorado and i didn't go down the other side of hope pass but um i went up to hope pass and then came back down to twin lakes and i've done much sketchier descents, and that was it was not a very sketchy one um if that helps but that, that I, is, i've heard other things of the better side
0: <laughs> yeah that is why we picked Leadville is my hundred because in the like the grand scheme of technicalities of running an ultra, that's one of the least technical trail running ones. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that was the thought when we were like, oh yeah, we'll run Leadville in a couple of years. I mean, they ride mountain like, bikes this year. They ride mountain bikes on the same trail. I've seen other stuff they ride mountain bikes on though that I wouldn't I wouldn't walk over, let alone ride a mountain bike yeah. down. So
1: that's true. That's really not a fair proxy. I. Guess. I guess yeah, those mountain <laughs> bikers are a different sort of crazy. <laughs> that is definitely true. I mean, yeah. Yes. Um, so you get to the top of Kilimanjaro, Everest, Hope Pass. What's going through
0: your head? Mm, what's going through my head? I feel like uh, it's going to be different every single time. Um, Aconcagua... I've never been that high in elevation before, so I don't know how that's gonna feel. Um, I was fine at 19,000 feet, but 4,000 feet higher is, makes a big difference. Kilimanjaro, I'm, specifically, I'm excited about because I'm gonna have my wife and my oldest my oldest child with me, so I'm uh, I'm super excited to share that journey and that summit with them. Um, hopes pass. I'll probably be cursing because it's not even halfway through the race. <laughs> <laughs> um, unless you're talking about on the way back, which yeah. I think is slightly over halfway, ton, but, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, I might be cursing at that point. Um, <laughs>
1: I, I should have added uh, heartbreak hill the, as you crest heartbreak hill. Oh,
0: heartbreak last year is just what, what wrecked me. <laughs> it did exactly what it's called. <laughs> um, I went into Boston with only like three or four weeks of training just cause I was having some hip issues that I was in physical therapy for, for. Most of the year. So I only got up to like 30 miles in a week of training. And uh, Heartbreak Hill definitely Heart wrecked broke. me. <laughs> got <laughs> it. Exactly. It was <laughs> walk run after that.
1: <laughs> um, cool. Well, this has been, this has been a blast. Uh, is there anything else that you wish people knew about your journey um, that, that you'd like to share?
0: For me, my journey began with one minute a day. It, it began with something that seemed an insurmountable thing to do, like somebody telling me to go climb Everest tomorrow. And the one minute a day changed my life. So for anybody that thinks that they're too busy in life, they don't have to get out there for hours a day or hours a week. One minute a day can literally change your life. And that's what happened to me almost 10 years ago.
1: I love that. Brian, thank you so much for, for sharing your journey, your experience. Um, where can where can we find you in your corner of the
0: internet? I primarily post on Instagram, so Brian Reynolds Runner. Um, you'll be seeing all my updates from the seven summits starting there in just a couple weeks. Awesome. Brian, thanks so much, and we'll see you out there, hopefully at Leadville. Thanks for
1: having me. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolfe of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village.